1: to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. I hope you, your family and your business have had a great few weeks since we were last together. Before we start today, I just wanted to give a quick shout out and thank PDRT666 for your very kind five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I'm so glad you're finding these expert insights inspirational and also the strategies really useful during this challenging time. I really appreciate you taking that extra 60 seconds to write that note because it really helps people who are browsing through all the thousands of podcasts on these platforms, to signpost and understand the key takeaways and style before they listen in or or subscribe, so thanks so much for doing that and I guess that reflects back to my aim, which is to provide you with a a glimpse inside the mind of these amazing people that I've had the privilege to work with and and meet and interview, but also to package it in a way that makes sense for you as a student or a sports coach or an entrepreneur or an executive or even maybe a senior leader in a multinational business. For today's show, I'm going to do something a little bit different. In every episode so far, I've taken a particular topic and showcased lots of diverse insights from sport or the military or academia or business across that particular theme. But I've been requested to try a different format as well, just as an idea. So I'm going to try that today. So in today's episode I'm going to dive in more depth down one of the interviews that we've done and I'm going to call this style of podcast the Mastermind Session. And for my cricket lovers in my network you're going to absolutely love it but don't worry if you're not a cricket fan or you don't understand cricket I know we've got people tuning in from all over the world and cricket isn't the biggest sensation over there so there are so many life and business lessons packed into this interview that I know you're going to absolutely love. So here's a taster from today's guest.
2: All your life, you, you have dreamt of being in this position to, to, to become a, a cricketer, you know. I just totally felt overawed, overpowered with everything that I was seeing around me. I've always put it in a much harsher way. It's like being in the bunkers and you are in, in, in war. There's always ways and means of winning.
1: With cricket being off the agenda during the pandemic, the West Indies cricket team have made the decision to come up and play in the UK in the first Test match of the summer. The games are being played in a biosecure stadium with no crowds. And I really, really hope that the series goes well so that we can emerge safely from the lockdown and get domestic and recreational cricket Back on track this season. So while we wait for the season to restart, I hope you enjoyed today's mastermind session with one of the greatest players of all time, Viv Richards. Viv was an inspiration to me as a youngster. How many of us tried to stand like him and swagger like him when we were batting in our playgrounds or gardens? I did manage to play against him just before he retired. Uh, But then a few years ago, I had the dream come true to meet the legend himself as part of Shane Warning and Greg Shippard's coaching team at the Melbourne Stars in Australia. He is the kind of guy who walks into the room and everything stops. His swagger and his presence is only bettered by his voice, which sort of bounds around the room. And it sounds like he should have had a career as a Hollywood voiceover artist doing all the film trailers. But spending time with Viv was an absolute privilege through that uh, period. And what fascinated me was even though he was one of the most iconic players of all time, he let the players come to him. He didn't say a huge amount. He listened intently to what these young players were battling with and the questions that they'd got. And when he spoke, it was absolute gold dust. And as the weeks progressed, I finally plucked up the courage to ask him, If he'd share his life story and his insights with me, I'm so glad that he did. So here you go. We're going to go inside the mind of a true champion. Sir Isaac Vivian Alexander Richards was born on the 7th of March 1952 on the beautiful island of Antigua in the West Indies. His parents, Malcolm and Gretel, lived in the district of St John's and Viv had two brothers who, like their father, also loved cricket. They all played representative cricket, but definitely not on Sundays. This was a very religious family, and Sundays were dominated by church services, and young Viv was singing in the choir. This is where he learnt some of his core values, and they would serve him well in his later years. Let's hear the first insight from Viv about those early years of his life.
2: I guess when you have a, a father who played himself and played for uh, the country, you know, as kids you, you're always pretty much curious and um, idle of such and such ways in those early days. That um, we take the, the gear up and you know you try to put the pads on. At times, sometimes they were as big as you itself, you know, and the bat, and you know you just fiddle around with these little things, and especially if you our father who was pretty keen on the game itself, you know, because I had two elder brothers, you know, who also played and um, the, the attention that my father played in um, their progression and from that club stage, uh, from the neighborhood to the club stage and onto um, maybe playing for, for the country and one actually also went on to play for the Leeward Islands. So I guess um, our, our dad had a huge role to play um, with that progression.
1: So it's a lovely image of the young Viv Richards uh, standing next to his dad on the edge of the cricket field, trying on these oversized pads, maybe coming up to his chest at the side of the field. And this is where the dream ignites a family who love cricket. They're immersed in cricket. Their social network is based around cricket and the church. And this wonderful older role model in his dad and his brothers who are showing Viv the way. Little did they know at that time how far he would really go. So in that first insight, you can hear Viv's respect for his dad, who was ultra competitive as a bowler on the field, but also he was the governor of the local prison. He was a strict disciplinarian, while his mum was the calm peacemaker in the household. I was interested to hear how Viv reflects on those formative influences
2: well it, it was great to to have someone like that you know who um who uh, had um serious discipline in in mind you know and especially um at home you know some of the kids used to to um maybe kid us a lot and uh about you know, your dad and who he is and we we had to to make sure that everything was in place you know because he was an individuals individual, uh, no nonsense sort of guy and uh, i guess when you have a, a father like that who Worked around um, maybe serious criminals, and sometimes maybe could at times bring some of that discipline from the prison home you know its it, it, you know at the time you felt um wow, this is harsh, but you know when you would have progressed in life and uh, the the stages that your life would have um, taken taken you to the journeys and all that sort of stuff, you see how um, how right they were you know and you, you could always pat them at that stage, in that final stage of your life, knowing the path that they would have um, directed you through, knowing that um, it was all for, for, for the good, and uh, you, you appreciate that after. But at that time, you always felt it was a little harsh. You know? But uh, in the end, you, you were around long enough to, to find out that um, discipline uh, in any form, way of life, it, it's um, pretty crucial.
1: So imagine growing up with your dad as a as a prison warden and uh, making sure there was that no-nonsense approach. So I'm sure Viv didn't get away with much mischief as a youngster. But on top of that passion that he'd got for being part of that cricketing family and that cricketing community, we're now adding this layer of respect and discipline. And we'll come back to this later in Viv's story, because even though he's one of the most destructive batsmen in the world, this attribute would play a key role role in his success. As Viv grew up, he became renowned as a rising star in the district and across the island. And at 17 years old, he had a chance to play for Antigua in the Leeward Islands trophy. And his debut didn't go as he hoped. He went out to bat and he was out first ball in front of 6,000 local passionate fans who actually ran riot across the pitch with the umpire's decision. So they overturned this decision. They said they were going to kick off if they didn't see their local hero bat. So they gave Viv the strange chance to bat again. And he failed again, which caused lots of animosity in the crowd that went full circle. So it was a turbulent time for Viv as he started and and definitely a baptism of fire. But one of his local cricketing heroes and mentors, Andy Roberts, the, the West Indies fast bowler, paved the way for Viv to represent the West Indies and now the selectors were starting to look at the smaller islands and Viv was definitely on their radar. The turbulence in Viv's early career continued when he visited England on a trial. Once again his dreams were shattered as the decision makers shook their heads as he tried to impress them with his batting in the Surrey nets in that early trial opportunity.
2: If I can maybe just run you through some of the stuff which was um, pretty hurting at the time because you know here you have two young young men from Antigua and Barbuda um, you are uh, all your life you you have dreamt of being in this position to 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 become uh, a cricketer you know um, uh, the, the the heroes that you had in the past and being in the environment where all the individuals you know who matters are gonna be having a look to see whether you progress or not. and I, I, I guess um, at that time, we were at Surrey, the Indoor Nets. I can remember some of the guys that we had then in the olden days, the Inti alams and the, 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 the Howards, I think, from uh, New Zealand. You had Longsdale Skinner, you, you had Eunice Amin, a whole lot of guys, you know, who at that time, I think um, uh, Alan Butcher was there at that particular time as well, too. So, it, you know, it, when you are in the Nets and you're facing an individual, you know, t- like Andy Roberts, you know, who is also looking to, to make that progress in life. It's, it's, it's hard, and he was coming hard in the nets, and you, you're trying your best, and you can only look at the individuals who are gonna maybe decide your future, having a nod in the back, and, like, not approve of what they are actually seeing. And it, it's hurting, you know, and I guess at that time we, we were re- rejected. Um, I guess you may say at times, you. You, you some folks you know who are looking to make that progress sometimes you have to be in the right place at the right time sometimes and it's just so wrong where uh, some of these things matters you know and uh, I, I can remember andy had us to go up to hampshire to have a trial hampshire maybe had some wiser folks you know, then decided well we're gonna to grab it and we, we all knew what um, he accomplished at Hampshire he, he had some marvelous seasons with, with that particular county you know and uh, I also wasn't given that opportunity then and someone came up I got lucky uh, someone took me to to, to, to Somerset th- decided and funny enough the individual that took me uh, was in the gambling business the bookmaking business um, and he was basically uh, I think chairman of Somerset county cricket at the time and took a gamble there and, that's it. So it goes to show you at times, um, um, it's not sometimes uh, what you know and how good you are at times, but sometimes to be in that right environment where someone can be a, a much better spotter, if you may say.
1: <laughs> so like many of the elite performers in the world, rejection and failure is woven into their life story. I don't think I've met anyone yet or researched anyone yet that's had this pristine path to mastery. Every one of them has had setbacks, criticism, injury, failure, but it's never the end of their story. In fact, it adds to the fuel that they need to take them through the adversity, to take them through the discipline, to take them through the hours of sacrifice that it takes to become a world-class performer. So they they use this rejection and failure as motivational fuel rather than a a dead end and I think that's a, a powerful lesson for all of us so Viv Richards and Andy Roberts these two incredibly talented West Indian youngsters had gone over to England to Surrey to try and get spotted and there was a lot of head shaking at the back of the, the training nets where they were and, and they got rejected and you could hear from Viv how painful that was but after struggling to impress at Surrey Viv was then spotted by Len Creed who was the vice chairman at Somerset County Cricket Club As Viv mentions, he was a bookmaker that uh, worked in Bath had a a bookmaking shop. I don't know how successful Len's um, shop was, but I can say that that was definitely the best gamble he ever made to take Viv to Somerset. um, Because in 1973, he started to play for a club in Bath and played in the second 11. And then the following year, he was offered a two-year contract, moved to Taunton to share a house with, guess who? Ian Botham, and that's where that incredible story begins. He then made his first-class debut for Somerset in 1974, and he had a man-of-the-match appearance in the Benson and the Hedges Cup. So even at that early age, he was doing incredible things. And that confidence and that style that came through was was evident from an early age when you listen to some of the, the comments around his early career and i noticed on one of the sky sports documentaries that he'd spoken about this body language being absolutely critical he grew up in an, a really tough suburb with lots of older boys who you know you could imagine were were bullies with with little viv so his way to handle himself was to stick his shoulders back, you know, put a bit of a strut on so people didn't mess. And, and in that particular documentary on Sky, he mentioned this analogy of considering himself a matador with this sort of balance of fearlessness and style. So you can picture that image in, in your head when you imagine Viv going out to bat. So I was, I was really interested to ask Viv about the importance of his mindset. He seemed such a talent. So I wasn't expecting the conviction in his answer when he spoke about the role of his mindset.
2: It is um, the the most crucial, the most crucial in, in my opinion, because everything that operates uh, uh, at the top here filters down into the body language, how you, you react, um, how, um, if, if you're not strong enough mentally, I doubt whether you'll be able to, to, to get certain things like the body moving, you you've got to be prepared mentally, and if you're not, and it, it's um, to me, it is the main the main ingredients for for the body to flow, for you to um, be able to express yourself, and it is all a, a transformation of what goes down here, and if you're thinking well enough well, the feet is going to be moving well enough and the the body language is going to be different. So I guess the mental side of things, and regardless of whatever you you are involved with, it is always um, the the, the most, it's the engine room, if you you may say, of um, operations and how you actually react to whatever competition you may be faced with.
1: So, For Viv Richards then, his mindset was his engine room. What a brilliant analogy. The engine room of his performance. And I love the way I can see this video as I'm sitting here recording this, that he's leaning forward in his chair. He's sort of touching his head and leaning forward and talking about how his mindset sort of cascades down through his shoulders and down into this body language. But his his mindset is the engine room of his performance. That's where it all begins. But he wasn't a Ferrari from the start, if we use that engine analogy. Despite his body language and his talent, his test debut in India in front of 80,000 screaming fans posed a very different threat for Viv. And this is where he shows that he is human after all as he explains what that experience felt like.
2: I can remember, yes, my very first test match in um, Bangalore, um, India. And um, in those days, I, I guess... The, the attendance uh, they were phenomenal you know the crowds um, there, there were so many um, things going on which just wasn't cricket at the time. Uh, sometimes you, you, you even fear rather than what the players had was to offer was the noise, the the, 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 um, the, the firecrackers go, go, go going off at times uh, I guess those days also there was some little crafty individuals who would be at the back of um, the side screen with mirrors and all that sort of stuff. Little things, you know, do get, get into mind. And I can remember when I um, made my first appearance coming off of some of these bamboo steps that you do get in India. Um, there was no feeling in my legs. And I can remember I just fell straight to the bottom. Um, and that's all to do with the fact that I just wasn't in control of my nerves. I just totally felt overawed, overpowered with everything that I was seeing around me, you know, and I guess um, when we spoke earlier about maybe um, the the tough journeys and it began, you know, it began then where you felt um, just out of total control. And I guess in my first match, you could see maybe why I I didn't um, register into double figures, I I got four and three, but um, it, it did, take take hold of me and I, I didn't handle it the way I, I, I think um, one should have with my first test match and these are the things that um, I guess the learning stages of how if you are prepared to go the the, 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 the full journey these are some of the the, 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 the journeys and the, the the routes you have to go through which is going to be tough and that was a uh, a serious um, in the, in the, in the so called baptism where, where the game was concerned and I looked at it in so many different ways, like the thoughts will go through your mind, um, am I really strong enough for being here? Uh, am I, wow, uh, this is amazing. I never felt Test Match cricket would be like this. Are you prepared to go all the way? And all these questions um, were asked, and whether you want to continue or not.
1: So this theme, again, we've got the idea of the young boy failing in his first Ireland game and that humiliation that came with it. We've got the trip to England where he tried to make his way and got rejected and and how he overcame that. And now we've got the talented young man making his test debut for the West Indies in this incredibly intimidating arena with 80,000 people. And, you know, for those of you who don't really follow cricket, You know, imagine a baseball batsman with behind the pitcher's arm, there's somebody with a mirror reflecting the sun into the batsman's eyes. So it's trying to put you off. So it's not just the cricket, it's the wider context that that Viv's having to put up with and, and the nerves. It's so inspirational to think that Viv Richards, one of the greatest and most confident sportsmen of all time, fell down the stairs with jelly legs on his debut. I love that idea. He couldn't feel his legs, he was so nervous. And Viv speaks honestly about that journey. But this isn't just a cricketing rite of passage. This is a personal battle against those demons and those doubts. And he would definitely need the support of his teammates to help to bolster him. And that's exactly what he got.
2: You need to have um, individuals who you trust on the team. There were some senior pros um, like even Clive Lloyd. Um, you had people like Keith Boyce, you know, who was at SX10 in England. So we 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 knew each other, and we we would exchange um, various views. And Van Bernholder, who I had respected a um, hell of a lot because of um, his knowledge of the game itself, having been there before me, you would have seen the journeys that people would have been through, and I roomed with him at the time, so. We discussed a lot of stuff and um, you need someone a little pat every now and again on the back regardless of how confident you may may feel at times. But certainly I I didn't feel that. I felt um, a little bit below par. And having that individual, someone who can pat you on the shoulder and keep encouraging you and letting you believe, come on, man, this is only the very first match and, you know, um, blah, blah. um, things can get better you know if you are prepared to work harder and I did that I um, just decided hey with you here um, this is what you would have um, dreamt of years back and you cannot afford to um, uh, disappoint your your, your dreams uh, and the position that you're in at this particular stage and decided to work harder to continue to to have that trust and faith in what got me there in the very first place you know you have to to go back in order to, to regroup and get your act together and having those consoling individuals around you played a, a huge part, helped me to, to to basically prolong and to try and continue the journey.
1: So another few key insights here that not only is handling pressure a team sport, really, you know, everyone has self-doubts and the best coaches, the best business leaders, the best captains in sport will understand that social dynamic and that uh you know inner frailty that people will have under pressure on debuts and and during challenging times and they'll support them because everyone has the doubt so that's the first thing and the second thing here is as we see viv starting to take these steps up at every point in that journey that he talks about there's the same doubt so actually the life lesson is to learn to back yourself in adversity Learn to have that confidence when you're being stretched, when you're being tested. And Viv's strategy for that is absolutely brilliant. We need to look back, not sort of look ourselves in the mirror and say we're going to be amazing and have that sort of hollow uh, you know, affirmation, but actually to look back at our successes and say, what got me here? You know, what style of play? What strengths? What super strengths have I got? what past successes have I got to lean on? Because that's the evidence. That isn't some woolly dream. That is the evidence that's in my bank account of confidence that I need to rely on when I'm feeling low or feeling like I'm, you know, under pressure. So that's a, a potent combination of strengths and past successes that are the key to leveraging our future. And... We also you know, heard that really important point that, that Viv had got that backing of his teammates and his captain. That gave him that combination of his own realisation, his own sort of reinforcement and the, the, the mentors around him gave him that mental gear change so that his engine could then start spinning forward positively. And like great performers, he bounced back really quickly and scored 192 in his next game in Delhi. So the demons were definitely banished to the shadows, at least for a while. So clearly, had developed a new set of mental skills which allowed him to sustain his dominance for many years. For someone who had doubts, like all of us, I wondered how he controlled his mind and his mannerisms to maintain that incredible presence on the pitch. And this is what he said.
2: I've always felt present plays a huge part in Um, whatever you're doing Um, you may get a guy in front of a a CEO in front of his uh, the people who um, he is in control of and they can know whether you are not that confidence and with that people stake liberties when you're not in control and I I just felt that um, it it was an opportunity for me to uh, to, uh, to just express how I felt as a person you know you I, I've always um even when I was much smaller uh, it's the same sort of stuff uh, that confidence you know even surfing a softball match or a rubber ball game you know uh, and it's I never ever planned anything what, what I've always planned for sure was the fact that sometimes uh, you you try and ostracize yourself as much as possible from the individual who just got out because sometimes you have some individuals who would be wanting to to tell you exactly why they got out and I wanted to, to try and um, work that out for myself because I was would, would have seen, taken a little look to see exactly what's happening so I, I felt when I, when I, so which meant that I waited for him to disappear and I'll creep in somewhere and I, I just felt at a time you needed to be in control of what you were doing it's 11 against against two who would be out there so i've got to to to, to have a presence i've got to feel that um i'm in control of my faculties and that's one way in in terms of uh, doing it making you you are in such a relaxed state um your, your breathing i think is so important because you will hear all this stuff about maybe take a couple of deep breaths and you and all that stuff while I'm coming in, you, you cannot see that, but I've got butterflies like everyone else inside, but how well are you gonna be in control of that? And just walking to the crease and taking some deep breaths while I'm there, you know, and makes you look cool. And what, what I think also did help having my chewing gum, that was also so important, you know, it's, uh, it played uh, a huge part in that whole preparation stuff, preparing you for what's going to be in, in, in the middle, you know? So it wasn't any, anything that's planned. It's, it's just the fact that um, I had a, a fair idea of how much I wanted to be in control because that's what presence is all about when you're a batsman. As I said, you're outnumbered. 11 guys out there who are, some are saying some stuff to you and you're outnumbered. So you got to feel that um, your presence itself would be the 12th man. <laughs>
1: So again, a brilliant insight inside one of the most cool and confident performers ever. He's talking about puffing up this presence to almost drown out the the intensity of the opposition. And there were two of his team batting and 11 in the opposition. So he felt more dominant than them. And just as he forced his shoulders back in the schoolyard from those bullies in the early years... He was giving off this air of supreme confidence and composure, even though he didn't feel it inside. And I think that's the key point here. He says, I get butterflies in my stomach like everybody else. So just like that book, feel the fear and do it anyway. You know, these champions have this ability to keep moving forward. And I also love that idea of him not listening to the whinging teammate that's coming out off the pitch, having made a mistake and, and ended his innings it's like he was the CEO of his own business and he wanted to sit separately and walk out separately so he didn't get contaminated by the other person's negativity. He wanted to see the game for himself. He wanted to assess the match conditions for himself. So I guess the the business analogy for us might be if if some of you are going for a job interview for example and you're sitting in the waiting room and you're waiting your turn and and some of the people that have already been in are sort of sitting around you and said oh they're they're really ferocious you know the questions they're asking are really personal and I wasn't prepared for it that's not going to help you so sitting somewhere quietly to compose yourself and and get ready to deliver your best performance. Hi, I hope you're enjoying today's episode. I just wanted to introduce you to Sporting Edge's Winning Mindset program. It builds on many of today's topics and explores the six drivers which have emerged from our research into the psychology of high performance. We've distilled down the six strategies that separate the world's most successful people and have curated those into a digital coaching program so that you can develop them for your own career. As a professional cricketer, I always felt like my mindset was the biggest difference between my best and worst day, but we never spent any time developing it. That's why we've created this flexible 30-day program for entrepreneurs, execs and sports coaches. We've had over a thousand delegates through the program in recent years, with an average of 10 to 15 percent uplift in their confidence, resilience and well-being. So visit SportingEdge.com to join our next cohort.
0: Performing like a pro starts by thinking like one. The Winning Mindset is a pioneering digital coaching program from Sporting Edge. You'll have access to world-class thinkers and performers who'll inspire you with daily five-minute micro-lessons to boost your confidence, resilience, and well-being. You'll learn from Olympians, neuroscientists, productivity and well-being experts with bite-sized strategies to help you raise your game. The winning mindset. Find out more at www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.
1: Whether you swagger in like Viv Richards and have that uh, chewing gum chattering away, you know, is another thing. Viv definitely didn't uh, nibble nervously like a rabbit on a carrot, but uh, much more like a cowboy rolling the tobacco around his mouth as he swings. The saloon doors open so that that ability for Viv to talk about how remember in the early podcast episodes, we talked about handling pressure. Our brain wants to speed up. Our brain wants to take us back to safety, to the dressing room. So it speeds up our thinking, it speeds up, speeds up our heart rate, it speeds up our mannerisms and lo- we look really nervous. So Viv was consciously slowing down his breathing slowing down his paces around the crease so that he gave off that air of calm and you know this incredible aura that he had and this presence was really really important you can just imagine him kicking the saloon doors open chewing slowly on his his chewing gum and viv's in town and you better run for cover so to keep that uh, cowboy analogy going he didn't wear a 10 gallon hat But another part of his iconic identity was his maroon cloth cap. During an era where bowlers were starting to clock up 90 miles an hour deliveries, many batsmen were starting to rely on this protective technology, these uh, fiberglass helmets that were helping the batsmen to stay safe. But for Viv, he wouldn't have traded his old maroon cap for the world, as you can hear now.
2: It was a pride, it was a sense of pride. I, I've always felt um, representing my country. I can remember the very first time that I was given my maroon cap in India. You know, I went to bed and every night I would go in front of um, the mirror and have a little look and see whether it fits or not. And in those days, um, it used to be the woolly, the woolly type cap and um, a cap that you could preserve, you know, not like the, the modern day cap, which, uh, Sometimes it's here today, gone tomorrow. And that cap had a lasting, um, lasting effect on how you felt about representing um, uh, your, your country. And maybe those days you never quite had, had the, the technology as you have today. Uh, to me, I felt it was rather heavy and to, to put on a grill, it totally would have um, put me in, in disarray because these are some of the stuff which I also appreciate well, as well. The fact of being comfortable while you are at the crease, you know, it's all about comfortable. Your, your tie pad, how how well it fits into to, to your um, your flannels, and making sure that if you you're looking to come forward, that the tie pad didn't impede maybe you doing that. You know, so all that li- all those little things were, were were on your mind. You know, so um, the helmet. Um, didn't quite fit in terms of the comfort that you you want to be or the present you would have at the crease.
1: So for Viv, he would never have worn one of these uh, heavy, clunky helmets. He wanted this comfortable West Indies maroon cloth cap, which was so iconic for Viv. But it was also a powerful unifying symbol of the numerous islands which made up the West Indies team. For many years, there was tension around politics and selection, with the bigger islands carrying more of the power, but there were a few key episodes which galvanised this disparate group of talented individuals into one of the most iconic teams of all time. It was a 5-0 whitewash in Australia in 1975, which offered the team a choice of a test of character. Would they let their diversity and difference fragment them into cliques with conflict? Or would they use this adversity to build a stronger bond? In the 1975 World Cup, Viv Richards played a starring role. Not with the bat, but in a tense game at Lords with Australia, Viv ran out, not one, not two, but three of the Australian star players and helped his team to lift the amazing trophy, the World Cup. And this taste of success gave the team belief, but they couldn't be complacent. There were negative forces which would also pull their team together through this period. On the 1976 tour of England, the England captain at the time, Tony Gregg, said that after the West Indies had been beaten so convincingly in Australia, that he and his team were going to make the West Indies grovel This was the emotional spark that galvanised the West Indies team yet further as they recorded a dominant win. And they maintained this dominance and went on to win their consecutive World Cup win in 1979 against England with Viv Richards top scoring with 138 not out. The West Indies were everyone's favourite team and Viv Richards was their talisman. Great teams don't win once and relax. They have this insatiable desire to keep improving and keep winning. They challenge each other to learn and improve and they use both success and setbacks alike to keep fueling their determination. I was really keen to hear Viv's view on what it was like to be part of that amazing West Indies team and what he thinks the characteristics of great teams are.
2: The best teams uh, share a common goal. The, the, uh, the, that goal itself, um, uh, we are good enough, how well can we prolong what we are doing? Because at the end of the day it brings a, a, a serious amount of enjoyment because this is why I think you are there. And for you to get the success, you, know, you must have a, a, a certain amount of camaraderie um, I, I've, always put it in a, I've always put it in a much harsher way. It's like being in the bunkers and you are in, in, in war, you know, and there's a lot of things coming over your head. And sometimes you gotta stay down, all gotta stay down in a bit in order for you to su- survive so you can actually have a fire. And this is what um, it, it's all about, that team itself and what it represents. And being in that environment, we are are going to accomplish this. And when you see, and what I think does help, when you would have had an avenue early about what can be accomplished collectively, it is amazing how much harder you you work because being at um, the very top, it's not about maybe being there for a particular time, but there is something that you're representing and something you'd like to represent for a long time. Because when you do it for one period, bang, and get knocked off. No one um, no listens to you. It's about that legacy that's created. And when you create that legacy, it's amazing what, what people want to find out. How was that achieved? And these are some of the things. You're all in the bunkers together. We're all going to take or wrap together uh, the same way as success. It, it, it is a uh, crucial, crucial, crucial part in any performance. So
1: just like the Chicago Bulls or the Man United team that had those dynasties of success, the West Indies team were an incredible and formidable team with swashbuckling, devastating, destructive batsmen and horrifyingly quick fast bowlers who scared the living daylights out of every batsman around the world. So that combination was pretty lethal for around a decade. And Viv Richards scored 8,500 runs in 121 test matches at an average of just over 50, with 24 centuries. As a captain, he won 27 out of the 50 test matches and lost just eight. He also scored nearly 7,000 runs in one-day internationals and more than 36,000 runs in first-class cricket. To achieve what Viv achieved over nearly 20 years, you can't rely solely on natural talent. You have to be street smart and adapt to different conditions all around the world. So I wanted to get inside Viv's mindset a little bit deeper about what happens when it isn't your day. And his insight was really fascinating.
2: There's always ways and means of winning. Um, You can win ugly. Um, there are times you're gonna win pretty. There are times you have to graft and get to to to, to your total, um, which you wouldn't like. Sometimes your natural whatever flair maybe may may take uh, a back seat. It's about situations at the time um, in the game. You yourself um, reading the game enough, knowing what are the things that are required, whether or not. Um, you are in the right position to do that. These are the stuff that comes in your mind and making sure that you respond to what's presently faced um, in front of you. Um, it is, uh, there are situations where you're gonna be, be be, be feeling, wow, um, this is the way I'd like to do it. Um, this is the way I love, enjoy doing it. This is the way um, my style is attractive and blah, 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 blah. But there are times you have to, and I, put it in a very simple manner. Uh, there are times when you're driving your car, you, you get to the traffic lights. When it comes up red, you gotta stop, isn't it? Because you know if you cross that road with the, with the red being on, someone has been given the opportunity, the green, to go. Could be a serious, not unless you're a mad person, could be a serious collision. And that is where you can stop think for a little while and when you get on the straight yeah, I've always believed in that when you get on the straight then you start to implement putting your feet down hoping that um, you stick with it with the the, the, the normal um, mileage that's um, in that particular zone and it's the same sort of a philosophy you can apply to 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 what you're doing professionally you know and uh, I see that you stop again go get over th- that particular period so you can do the stuff which you enjoy and you're gonna have that performing, you're gonna have that period where an individual may be pretty good on that day and being, being good on that day uh, doesn't mean that you're gonna try and blast your way out of it, that sometimes you gotta basically creep your way out of it and by doing it you, you go back to the basic things which will put you in the zone um, accomplishing winning. You may not like it, but at the end of the day, it's sometimes the professional thing to do.
1: So again, a fascinating insight. This is not somebody who's so naturally talented that he just plays well when everything's going his way. This is a serial winner. This is somebody who learns to win in lots of different conditions. And you have to find a way to win on that particular day so that you can win more consistently. So Viv was known as the master blaster. You know, his confidence, his dominance, his destruction of bowlers was unmatched. But we don't often consider his patience and his discipline. So he was calculated, not chaotic, in his demolition of bowlers. And his analogy to follow the rules of the road comes from that strict upbringing that we mentioned at the start of the podcast. So maybe our businesses or your industry at the moment is on go slow. Maybe there's a red light. So we can't completely break it and and you know do something rash. Otherwise, there'll be a smash, as Viv mentioned. We've got to wait. We've got to be patient until the lights turn green. And then when the markets and the opportunities open up, that's when we can start to express ourselves again. So being a high performer like Viv Richards is all about spotting the timing of when to put your foot down and when to be more cautious and make sure you're still in the game so that you can win the game later in the day. In December 2002, Viv was chosen by Wisden as the greatest ODI batsman, the one day international batsman of all time as well as the third greatest test batsman of all time behind Sir Don Bradman and Sachin Tendulkar. He is a true champion, and it's been an absolute pleasure to share these stories with you. As I mentioned, I've been experimenting with this mastermind format where we dive inside the mind of one of the champions. So I'd love your feedback if you could send me a note, whether you've enjoyed this or you prefer the style or you just like the change to hello at sportingedge.com. Wherever you're listening to this podcast from today, let's keep our heads down until the time is right. And then like Sir Vivian Richards, I hope you go out there and absolutely smash it out of the park. I'll be kicking off a conversation on LinkedIn over the next day or two. So please do join in and share your favorite parts of today's interview. And until next time on Inside the Mind of Champions good luck.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email
1: hello at sportingedge.com.